Rumor has it Dante Olsen is still gaining tackles as we speak. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the RNR Catcast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. Tonight we have a special roundtable interview with the one and only Brooks Nuanas of Skyline Sports. Brooks, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful, guys. It's, good. it's so great to hear you guys and your intros and your show. I love this. It's so fun. Appreciate you taking some time to come on the show. We, you know, anytime we interview or talk to someone in Montana, we know it's an hour behind us. So we appreciate you coming on a little bit, uh, probably later than you'd like it to be. But thanks again for coming on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the timing kind of sets the vibe, too. I mean, it definitely makes it a little bit more interesting than a lot of daily interviews. But overall, super happy to be here. Are you calling us out for our drinking habits? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I know you have kids, which plays, but the fact that you're drinking is also good. That's a positive. I think you're in the right spot. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, I just want to say real quick, uh, we're both, you know, big fans of you and Skyline Sports. Uh, like we were talking a bit before we started recording, just the candor you have on the when you are on with your uh, Coulter, your brother, just talking football, man. We, we love to listen to that. You're one of our favorite people to listen to to talk about Bobcat football. Yeah, well, it's, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I, I'm in a lucky position to be able to see so much Bobcat football up close and personal. I mean, I have for the better part of, you know, going on five. This is fifth season, but the better part of six years. And that's. You know, there's a lot of, of really, you know, I feel pretty privileged to have experienced that. But also, I like sharing it. You know, I love sports. So um, it's been great that you guys could share that. And uh, Skyline Sports has been a really fun journey. It's, you know, it's, it continues to grow, be sustainable. Um, things that for us that we need that we're looking for out of the business, it gives us. And that's such a huge opportunity to be able to do something like that especially kind of from the ground up uh, and, and getting to work with my brother. So both, all those things are wonderful. Um, so yeah, super happy to be here. Well, right on. I know like many miles between Spokane and Great Falls has been taken up by listening to just you and your brother. And um, I just want to say thanks for, thanks for all the good stuff you do. Um, your, your photos in on the online stuff are just fantastic. You just have that knack for, catching the right player at the right time. I know I'm going to ask you some questions about that, but uh, yeah, just good work over there, Brooks. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like I say, it's been so fun. It's uh, and there's been some really fun years recently. I know we're going to dive into some of those things. It's been uh, the program has grown into such an interesting element in the state of Montana in the big sky conference in the Western United States and in all of college football. So um, it's been very interesting to be a part of and fun to capture. So yeah, I know we'll dive into that stuff. It'll be great. Well, fellas, it's been a minute since we had our What Are We Drinking segment, and tonight we have a special treat. We actually have a sponsor from Shine Beer Sanctuary in downtown Bozeman. See, sanctuaries are among the most sacred places in the planet. Shine Beer Sanctuary is certainly one of the most sacred places in Bozeman. Shine has 30 rotating draft beers offering flavors for any beer enthusiast. Located in 451 East Main downtown, Shine is also Bozeman's premier bottle shop with hundreds of beers from around the world. Thorny, you hungry? Well, I sure am, but don't worry, because Shine has you covered, serving La Perea and the famous Garage Soup Shack. 
Bozeman's favorite for 25 years. From their beautiful rooftop bar and community-driven values, Shine can help make your beer dreams come true. Come enjoy your favorite beer in a sacred place and shine on at Shine Beer Sanctuary in downtown Bozeman. We're going to start off. Thorny, I'm going to serve it up to you first, buddy. Well, I want. I do want to say that just because we haven't said what we're drinking doesn't mean we're not drinking <laughs> those other times. That's <laughs> true. Just it's saying true. that. Just throwing that there. Um, I have a Silver City Panther Lake Porter. It's from Bremerton. It's a big old one pint, six fluid ounces. I don't know what that is, but it's one of those bigger ones. Uh, it's pretty pretty good. I've never had it before. I'm a big fan of porters. It's pretty tasty. I would definitely recommend this one. Thorny, I got to ask you a question. Man, you're hitting a porter, and it's almost June. What's going on? I'm not a believer in seasonal beers. That's what's going okay. on. I drink, <laughs> I'll drink a dark beer and dead summer. Brooks, what's your call on porters in summer? Well, big fan, big beer fan. Um, I agree. I do not believe in seasonal beer. I'm a beer consumer kind of across the board. Mid-July, a uh, good imperial stout, even like warmed up a little bit. I'm in. Like I'm totally in. I usually drink IPA, but a lot of beer, definitely not seasonal. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Stout, summer, it's all good. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Brooks, what are you drinking? I am drinking a Hub, uh, ferocious IPA. Hub is Hopworks Urban Brewing from Portland. It's a, uh, they call it blood orange IPA, but mostly dry West Coast IPA. 16-ounce can, really funny logo. Great beer. Nice. What kind of hops does it have in it? I'm not sure the hop profile. I would say more like juicy hops, a little less bitter than most West Coast, but like overall, relatively dry. Not sure nice. the hop profile. Yeah, tasty, man. You had me a less bitter. I'm not, a, I'm not an IPA <laughs> guy over here, but I can handle them if they're in the 30s in the IBU scale. It's about where I, maybe 40s. <laughs> yeah, totally. This falls at 50, but IBUs are a little bit ambiguous. You never know. They they don't necessarily say how quite bitter, mostly just. That is true. So what I'm drinking tonight, there's a little bit of a backstory behind it. So our local brewery that I've mentioned on the podcast before is Parachute Brewing, and it's just in proximity, kind of close to my house, right? And so during the, the COVID-19 time, they've been doing um, like a Saturday pickup of growlers in what they call crowlers. And if you don't know what a crowler is, it's it's what they're calling a 32-ounce can. Basically, they just pour the beer in a can, a silver can, and then they top it right there in the brewery. And so uh, just recently, uh, they put out a couple new beers. And one of one things that, Thorny, you probably didn't know about me is I really like Mexican lagers. And they had... Uh, they just brewed their own Mexican lager. And so I have a Crowler, a 32-ounce can of um, their Mexican lager. I, this doesn't have a specific name, but I have to the right of me, I went cut up uh, half of a lime. And so I'm just sipping on that. The Mexican beers you've been texting me pictures of is basically Miller Lite with a lime in it. So <laughs> you're like, is this a Mexican beer? <laughs> So I, I didn't realize you were an actual fan. I thought you were like an ironic fan. <laughs> no, um, no, I've been on the Mexican lager kick for a while now. So, but yeah, I was excited to see Perry Street um, brew theirs. It's really low alcohol. It's like four point two percent alcohol. It's super sessionable. Very good. Nice. Sounds good. Right on. 
All right. Well, let's move into some news. Well, no, um, I'm going to retract this statement. Let's talk about Brooks for a little bit. Thorning, what do you think about that? Yeah, why not? He's on. He's our guest. Let's uh, get a little <laughs> get to know Brooks segment going here. Do you want to kick us off? Uh, sure. Let me take a look at what we got here. So, Brooks, um, we know that you work for Skyline, and um, we talked about that in the intro there. But one of the things our listeners might not know is that you played safety for the University of Montana. Um, I got a question for you. Uh, first question was, who is your coaches? That's awesome. When I was a freshman, my, uh, my defensive back coach was Mike Hudson, and uh, the head coach was Bobby Houck, and defensive coordinator was Craig Paulson. Um, that was a really fun. That was a fun year. Those two thousand nine um, went to went undefeated. Went to the national championship game. Lost to Villanova uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That was a really cool year. Really fun. Um, you know, one of the most most interesting sports years in my life. Kind of just riding this really weird wave of the end of Bobby Houck and the, also like the peak of kind of what Montana football had become. Had a lot of friends. My brother was is four years older than me. Had just so many connections at like in the university and with uh, you know players at the time that were some of his friends, people I knew. So it was just a really fun experience because I had familiarity with the program, even though I didn't get recruited super heavy by them. Way recruited way more by Montana State um, and some other schools in the region. But really cool to uh, be a part of it. Then played for uh, the next year. Uh, Robin Flugrad was the, was the head coach, and Mike Bresky came in and was defensive coordinator and the safeties coach. And that was another really unique experience and probably the one that like paves my football life the most as far as my understanding of football and kind of how I see the game defensively is from Mike Bresky and got to be with him for about two full years and uh, just a really interesting guy. You know, he's gone on to be, you know, he's been an F uh, FBS defensive coordinator several times, um, led some really interesting teams back before in his career before Montana. Um, so that was super cool and um, really interesting to be in a defensive coordinator's room all the time. That was a, uh, kind of a, a unique fun experience and um so yeah that was kind of my montana it lasted about two and a half years played went into third fall camp just pretty banged up and injured it had three surgeries um but the those three years were fun and kind of defining a, a lot of my football life because i had played so many sports before football um especially in high school you know it was my primary sport towards due to numbers in 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 a, in a big way just more opportunities, you know, and played a lot of other sports, but um, those, those couple of years at Montana definitely kind of. So when I was crafting that question, I was really like kind of salivating because I mean, you, out of all the people we've interviewed, I mean, I think Travis Lule and Corey Nickel were the only other players that we have interviewed. So uh, I really just kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit on this. It sounds like you were part of some transitional, I mean, Bobby Hawk left, flu grad comes in and then, and, you know, whatever happened to Flugrad, but you were part of this kind of turnover on the staff. Like, I guess my question is to you, Brooks, is like, how does that affect the culture of the team? And, I mean, you were part of, like, the Grizz, which is such a, like, kind of almost has, like, this mystique behind their culture. So how did that go between coaches? Yeah, it's that's probably one of the better questions people anyone's asked me about it. Because uh, that is, I mean, it's the, that's the most important aspect, and that's what mm -hmm. was in a big way lost, and that's what was. If it wasn't lost, it was degraded, and it was fumbled a little bit through a different 
you know, some different staffs, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, with Flugrad, I mean, it was the, you know, it was the, it was the scandal. It was, it was players who were having sexual assault cases brought upon them and, and it was a big deal. And a lot of those people were, you know, people I was close to and, uh, but the culture was in a way, like I, like I mentioned, I mean, it, it was starting to be degraded just due to s- such a massive change of philosophy and power. Even if you try to keep the same backbone, like, everything changes so quickly. And I saw, you know, it happened at Montana state and the next transition with, between uh, Rob Ash and Jeff Cho, that transition was luckily held on to. And I think that a coach like Robin Flugrad could hold on to it too, but amidst a scandal, then all of a sudden any link and, and administration go to the coach at Montana. It was Mick Guy, the guy that remained at Montana and a wonderful, and a great coach, wonderful guy in Montana. You know, he's coached at every different level in Montana, including at Montana state and Montana Western. Um, but super, I'm just an, a really cool guy. Took, takes over an interesting program and that's four years and you have a, a missed generation almost because of three coaches in five years is what the math works out to is, is really, it's volatile. And, you know, we, we, we still then the Bob stick comes next and there's still volatility <laughs> in the fumbling of the culture. And that culture now is almost, you know, two full recruiting classes of seniors away, you know, close to a decade. So with Bobby Houck back, do you, do you as Brooks Nuanas see that as like a positive, do you think he is the right guy right now? Yeah. I mean, I think that the position that he's in right now is, you know, he's in a very good position as far as when you exit and have the opportunity to come back, then people don't question if you're leaving again, because you're staying like he's staying there for the rest of his life. Very, mm. very likely unless something happens. Yeah. I mean, it's very rare that you would take this step back, not back, but like you would make this move and then try to leverage it to something else. He knows what the FPS is like. It's not what he wants. Um, it's really important. I think Jeff Choke could be in that position. I, it'll be hard for him if he has a lot of success to turn down a huge job to make a lot of money, especially towards the end of his career. I mean, it's a part of it. You know, these are professions, but he's also in a position of he knows what kind of football he wants to coach. And Bobby Houck knows that as much as anyone. This is the kind of football he wants to coach. So this is the place to, if he has opportunity, puts him in a position. I don't know if, if leaving with first play what Mont needs it, it's it's a tough pill to swallow after what they had gone through with scandal that didn't lay on his shoulders by any means but was such a part of the culture that was around that program and there's just no way of denying that that it's hard to bring him back in that way but it's completely understandable and i think yeah to answer your question i think it would be the right it is the right move cool. I mean, it's painful for me to say it as a Bobcat fan, but I think <laughs> Hauk has it going the right way. And I, it's pretty hard to kind of screw the mind football too bad. So, like, if in like, uh, kind of resources, fan bases, facilities, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to be good for the Grizz and bad for the rest of the league <laughs> in that, in that way. It's facts. Yeah. No, it's facts. The, he could, he revived it very quickly. And that's because, it never, it's always there. It's in the walls, you know, and he just brought it back out. And it is very, very similar to not peak, but like it has so many characteristics of what made it great before. So yeah, that part is interesting. What your sentiments are definitely correct. The league is definitely on, on alert. <laughs> well, the only, the only thing is now that uh, some teams don't have to play either Montana schools, so they just cruise on right over <laughs> to that big sky conference championship. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, don't get me started on that. 
So Brooks, when we met you, it was uh, it was homecoming in Bozeman uh, this past year, and uh, you were staring down the uh, of a really big of your kind of just standing here mumbling, you can kind of have this clairvoyance of what's going to happen in the next play. And I was just kind of testing you there a little bit, and I was like, "Damn, you know, he seems he seems to know what's going to come." So, I, like, dude, that's good as a photographer and team. Like, how are you in, as from a, as a player in order to help capture your photos? And who are you really focusing on? You know, I I have a process of going through and ask and answering a bunch of questions that we need for our backend. You know, our our database is just it's full of so many photos, and it's full of every player that we pretty much cover. There's very few. I always get frustrated if I don't have every player. Um, it happens from time to time, especially young guys, but. I work on building profiles of every player of getting a static still image of the player. Usually standing is just fine. Just the proof that they're alive and their number and then <laughs> proof of them warming up or something that's in the, but on the tertiary, moving a little bit from kind of activity in a C one-on-one photo. and the great guys, I have, you know, 10 action photos that I'm would print in a magazine that I'm proud of, of, you know, the excellent guys, mm-hmm. the, the guys that are all over the ball, the middle linebackers that are making tackles. And so those profiles are get full, but then I always think of, and I try to shoot before the snap goes a player or two of every single snap and get profile pictures of just still players. And then I find the ball and I usually just go down in distance. And I, and I look at the running back set. I look at if the running back is on the same side as the tight end, how strong is the set? And um, if the running back's on the same side of the tight end, he has a better chance of releasing with a little bit more space because the tight end's going to clear something out. Um, mm-hmm. so like maybe the running back here on third and seven might get checked down if he's a player and just kind of think through football and just kind of, I do test myself almost every play and it keeps me engaged. And it's fun. And, um, but yeah, a lot of people on, on the side, there's good foot behind the camera. There's a lot of stuff in origin photos. Right? And always if six or game, good fun play and play and play and plays seven. You know, it's always my goal. Um, touchdowns, big games like Cat Grizz or something. If there's one touchdown, that's the game winner. You have to have that photo. It's really hard to get one photo though. So those are always challenges. Look at it, really fun. It's fun. The channels get so much. I wouldn't have thought the fact someone play that you know one have and just kind of where the plays with the camera to point to point the camera. That's that's really interesting uh, way to look at it. Yeah, and there's times you know to be honest where and I've shot a lot of neutral games where. Another thing is that I shoot the other team. So that not, not a lot of people do that either. We do it because we keep, you know, such, we try to give the entire picture. We try to give opponents as much respect as we do the teams that we cover the beats. So I shoot the other team throughout the entire game as well. But there's t- games that I've been where I have never shot the other team. Let's say it's a playoff game against uh, U, U Albany. I haven't shot mm-hmm. that team. I know the quarterback. I get the receiver that's good. But it's really challenging sometimes to look at what they're doing and try to figure it out, it, especially on the field level. And I feel humbled in those times. But like when I get to talk to Jeff Choate, I'm the one interviewing interviewing him. I'm the one asking X's and O's, and he's telling me honest answers. And same with offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. I have a really good idea of the Big Sky Conference. So I know what teams like to do, and that helps. You know, It's kind of like cheating in a way, but when you know about it, it definitely helps. Who would you say maybe your specific like team that you really like to photograph? That's interesting. Um, you know, colors really matter. Color concepts matter. Not just the, mm. the light of the day, but, you know, teams, let's say, for instance, I've seen it quite a bit where a team wears a white jersey and white pants. 
And the other team wears a blue jersey and white pants and a bunch of white pants running around, like legs get mixed up, <laughs> like photos can get confusing. So every now and then you'll go on the field and you have no idea what the uniforms are going to be. And you'll be like, oh, goodness, this is the best combos. Like, these are great contrasting colors. Well, no one will get mixed up. Um, those are fun. <laughs> and like that happens, like I really enjoyed shooting five or six years ago, um, middle Tennessee, no, Eastern Tennessee state ETSU, their first year in the FCS, they were an independent school with no scholarships. They ended up joining the big South, I think, and they've been successful and they've like scaled up and they had the freshman of the year. The Jerry Rice award winner was the linebacker. The whole team was freshmen. It was only freshmen. And they came and played the Cats, and they got beat pretty bad. But their uniforms were sweet. I remember it vividly. I'll never forget that team. I ended up like, following them just because they were so memorable. But So there's a lot of things that play into it. But there's also some fun parts of just the artistry of the way the teams look, the color, the, the way guys look, are. You know, There's some teams from the South that are so interesting physically, different than mixed guy players. So that's always fun, too. I would have never thought I would hear someone talking about colors on our podcast as far as like what they're looking for <laughs> or what gets them excited to to go to a game or shoot a game. But here we are. But uh, that's pretty <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right on. Well, um, we're going to start moving into kind of the conversation of about MSU football and kind of some big, bigger topics right now on on that. And um, Thorny, let's uh, let's go to you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I'm just excited to talk some football. It's been oh, it's been too long. We've had, we've done some fun interviews, and uh, but it's just it's, it's just not football. Like nothing like cracking a beer and just talking football about the team you love with a buddy. Um, so first thing I want to ask you, Brooks. Um, you talked a lot about culture and all that, but I'm just kind of curious what your what were your impressions of the 2019 Bobcat squad? They were a interesting group. Started off slow painful to watch sometimes and yet here we are they ended up in the semifinals what were, what were your kind of impressions of that of the bobcat squad yeah i like the way you said it i mean they they were really really talented and they had a really good scheme i mean offensively it took so long and there was times where it was brutal to watch the growth and they were beating teams 49 to 20 you know i mean they early on it was odd because the quarterback was still a little bit unnamed but as rovig kind of went under center, that team grew. But then when Isaiah Fonse came back, it was like, oh, wow. If we had Troy and Isaiah Fonse, I think that Jeff Choate would be pretty happy with that backfield. And you had glimpses of that, but not particularly. You had one or the other, and both were dominant. And I think you could have both in theory. But defensively, the front seven was as good as it gets. And that, that's what the whole team is defined on. I mean, they had players in the back end that could make plays that didn't even have to at times because of how dominant the front seven was. Defensive line, linebackers played well. Well, Josh Hill coming back was, I mean, he was a really, really good player last year. Um, impactful. I mean, for him to get a first-team all-conference uh, all nod is just like one of the better stories I've ever covered. And, and he, he missed like, what, over half, no, less than half a season, but right around half of it? I can't remember. Yeah, right about half, about five games. In the, game, the season before, he missed at least four or five games. and. Yeah, you know, battled a really tough injury. He didn't get invited to fall camp the year before, and like he he might have never played again. And he was first team all league. I mean, what you know, just a testament to that group and that front seven. They were dominant, but they caught a tough draw. I think that there was different 
draws they you know in the playoffs they play illinois state instead of north dakota state illinois state lost nine to three in the in the quarters to north dakota state and they had a they almost had a pick to seal that thing like it was i watched the whole game it was close and i think the cats matched up really well against illinois state but north dakota state's tough and you know the way that they're built they have no chance without a quarterback if you don't get do something different if you try to beat north dakota state at what north dakota state does it's it's just not going to work so overall, I mean, really good season, really good team. You know, one, one of the better defenses I've covered in a lot, in, in a, probably since Skyline started. So really good team. Um, I'm not surprised where they ended up. I think, you know, kind of expectations were almost beat, at least met, if not beat. One thing that uh, you kind of talked about, about that front seven being so dominant that some of the guys didn't have to do so much. I think Braden Conkle joked about that a couple of times about how he was like, almost bored back there a few times. Conkle's kind of a, <laughs> a little bit of a trash talker, even in the media. It's kind of funny, but uh, I remember him saying something to that effect. So I could totally see what you're saying there. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're top, I think four of their top five tacklers were in the front seven. It's crazy. And that's, you know, this is just, and then Conkle was fifth and it's like, yeah, you know, he would be the leading tackler on most teams, but guys don't get to him. They get tackled. <laughs> so Brooks, do you think the front seven made K9 look better than he actually is? Yeah, I mean, it's a good. I mean, I get the question for sure. I think, I think yes, but I also think that he's matured. I think that, I think some of his coverages have become a little bit tighter. They don't have to blitz as much, which always helps any coordinator. When you blitz when you want to, like when you don't, you don't have to blitz because you need a play. You blitz because you have momentum. It's so different, and that's what they have this year. So any coordinator would like that, and it helps coverage. They were able to roll a lot of coverages. That's Jaquay Allen too. I mean, that's you know, a really talented player that can that can cover a lot of field that covers up a lot of people who maybe can't. I mean, Conkle's great in the in the deep third and he's better in the box, you know, and he he played a lot of Sam linebacker. Um that was yeah, my, they, that was my they favorite lo- package they lost last year. on the back end. Yeah, they're right, right. Me too. Yeah, there's one thing you talk about blitzing. Uh I don't Correct me if I'm wrong. The Bobcats very rarely ever ran like a cornerback blitz. That's not something I ever see really the Bobcats do very often. And I could totally, you know, why do you need to send a quarterback if he if your front sevens just get into him every single time anyway? Yeah, there, there's no gimmick blitzes. We, we talked about some of the coaches I played for. Mike Bresky was a huge, I call it cowboy, he's a huge corner blitz guy, especially from the boundary when you're tight on that hash blitz from the boundary or, or put a nickel on that in kind of nickel corner on the edge. That's, those are gimmick pl- blitzes in a way. Yeah. The cats don't do that at all. They just, they bring linebacker pressure. They'll bring five from time to time, but they can get home with three and four all day and not even get home. They just create so much pressure. They just collapse the pocket so well. Yeah. 2019, they, you know, they, they had a really good team. Well, it kind of culminated to me when I was watching that front seven in the Austin P game. I mean, if you even look at that halftime, it was just ridiculous. I don't, Austin P might, might have not even had a first down or maybe one at that. Um, as, do you think the Cats can continue to cultivate that kind of pressure in the front seven, or is it is it something that they might lose with like guys like Derek Marks not being there? Yeah, I, I you know, I think until you see it, you have to mm-hmm. think they take a step back. Um, I really like where Chase Benson has done and kind of where he's gone, but it's a different, it'll be a different role for him in a way, even if it's the same position, guys just haven't proved it. Like Derek Marks did, you know, he was just such a productive guy. And like I say, not even sack numbers, just 
it's the eye test. You know, I watched him. People, you guys watched him. Jeff Chobot, mm-hmm. people know, like, this guy doesn't matter his size. At that, at some point, that was out the window because he did gain the size. He was just such a tremendous player. His hands, his feet, really, really talented. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff will have to be replaced. Will it be? It, it's, it's hard to say. You know, we'll talk about, you know, there's some transfers and some things that are definitely going to play. But some guys need to take the next step. Some guys that are probably going to be juniors without much playing time, uh, like Kyle Finch, that will, you know, hasn't really done it and will have to show that he can. I mean, talented, yeah. Can they do it? You know, you got to do it. You got to prove it. Well, that's kind of what the sign of a really good deep program is: is guys not seeing a whole lot of playing time until they're sophomores at best, juniors. That's kind of really what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and Choate talks about that too. I mean, what do you guys think? Where? Where do you think that the defensive line stands as far as how much do they have in the tank compared to playing time that they may necessarily lose? What, what, what do both of you think? It's definitely a concern for me, um, and at least in terms of like the production. Like you said, I don't see how it can't take a little step back. It doesn't mean it's going to be a big problem or anything, but there's definitely just a lot of guys that are unproven. But I like the combo of Chase Benson, uh, Benson Kyle Finch and Amandre Williams right there. I mean, that's just a good starting yeah. three right yeah. there. You're not going to go wrong. You just got some young guys like what was it, Blake Schmidt and uh, a couple guys or other. other Sierra Deans is going to be a guy that we're going to have to watch for. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to ask your your question on. Uh, he, he was one of my guys. I, I basically at the end of this, uh, my questions have a list of guys. I'm just kind of curious about. He's one of mm-hmm. them. Have you seen any any sort of flashes from him? Because I remember being kind of excited by him. And when we signed him, just a small town kid from like, I think it's Connell, Washington, the little tiny town out here. Uh, just a big body, seemed like a guy who could really produce, but haven't heard much of his name in the, in the couple of years he's been here. Yeah, I I have seen it. You know, he flashed right away. He was one of the more impressive freshmen when he was at fall camp that first year. Uh, he had shoulder surgery last year. Um, I think he has exactly what Montana State likes in the, you know, historically guys that he reminds me of and you know these are like really loose comparisons but people who get after it kind of that cowboy mentality you know Caleb Strybice had a little bit of that yeah you know guys that really truly when they get their hand in the dirt they like kind of just like to get out in a tornado and just and just be physical and even if they mess up their technique's a little broken like they like the physicality part of it and that's just him I mean he's one of the most physically mature people in his group from day one and I think he still will be he you could kind of see that he realized very quickly. There's a lot of guys that come in and think they're going to be really physical, and they are, but they realize they're not going to play. And he kind of got that chip, and I, I could kind of see that it probably demotivated him a little bit. But, I mean, overall, the shoulder surgery is what set him back. I think that he'll definitely make noise. Well, kind of to wrap up the the talk on the defensive line and go back to your question, Brooks, for me, like what I think about going into the 2020 season, I think the biggest thing that the biggest question I have is who's going to take the leadership role that Derek Marks vacates. And when I listen to like your brother talk and other people, you know, who talk who are much more knowledgeable than Ryan and I, he was, he was a, um, the straw that stirred the drink. Right. And uh, he was able to make calls and uh, just be that cerebral presence on the front line there that just, got everybody motivated and got everybody in position is what is what I continue to hear. So I'm really interested if, you know, Amandre Williams could step into that role or, you know, is it Benson or is Benson a vocal guy? I haven't heard that. So that that's the biggest question I have. 
Yeah, definitely. Benson's definitely not a vocal guy. He's definitely yeah. one of the more unique. Um, you've you've seen football players and humans like him. He's a wonderful kid. He he's very unique. Definitely not. Um, I think that he is a great leader in that room as far as the the way he plays. You know, people want to follow that. You know, he he definitely leads by example. But it's a Madre Williams, and if you remember, you know, he was a. I think he was very highly recruited for a potential player of the year in Washington. Mm-hmm. You'd have to check that very high, rec- highly recruited quarterback in high school. Uh, and, you know, I think he does hold some of those qualities and I think that he'll take, he'll walk right into it because he's a very good football player. He might be the best guy that they return. Honestly, mm-hmm. depends on what, where Troy is. If not, I mean, it's, he's right there. Isaiah Fonse is, is that good. And Lewis Kidd is that good, but Amadre is, I think a real player. He showed flashes of it last year. He was still getting comfortable. But I think as this becomes his team, his defense, which I think it will be, um, he's definitely the alpha as far as you know the talent and the and the uh, the presence goes. It's definitely him. Uh, he definitely like uh, just kind of got better and better as the year went on, and really the the last four or five games is like, all right, this is all conference caliber stuff right here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was a dominant player. So let's shift our conversation a little bit. Let's talk about the quarterback position and specifically the quarterback battle. Uh, one of the questions we had for you is, do you agree with Choate's decision to bring in an, an, under, an upperclassman transfer to compete for the job, knowing that Tarkarovic's been kind of a... Uh, it, it seems like when we've shown confidence in Rovic, he's really you know risen to the occasion and he's made some, some strides. And so then when we bring in Matt McKay... It's kind of a question mark for Ryan and I. What do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with it, but I, you know, if I'm going to be completely honest, you know, I think that Rovig is a good player. Um, I think he could he could be a very productive player at any school, including Montana State. Um, I, I think that when you know the landscape of the FCS, like Choate does, and you know the the enemy to the east. <laughs> When you know that North Dakota State is right there, Rovig's probably not good enough to win you a national championship. And mm. could he be? You know, I I still think that the jury's out, which is a th- a good thing for him. It's it's a, a question mark on his resume, but at least it exists. You know, I do think that the jury is still a little bit out. He's never had the full reins, and he's never had the confidence of everyone. Like he just hasn't. So. What but what Chode is doing, and I think it's probably the right move, is like we gotta go. We we gotta have a top twenty-five quarterback in the country. We probably can't have a, a, a barely top hundred. Uh I, I think that's probably where he's you know, he's never afraid to to go get people that can play. And whether that's Bryce Sturk, whether that's you know, other drop downs he's had some transfers that have played extensively. It's, it's just part of FCS football. So I think that's probably what where they're at and if you know if matt mckay doesn't win then that's that's a good that's a good thing for for rovig and if he does then you know you hope rovig stays i i don't know if he would it would seem that in this day and age that if he lost this battle he'd probably go well i just want to yeah you said something that's interesting about him not ever really having the the full reins necessarily he's also never really had this full stable of msu running backs either to kind of take that load off of him like you're talking about like uh, troy anderson and Isaiah Fonzie in the backfield at the same time, it's not going to take a real superstar quarterback to win with that system in place right there. So I think he can be like a good game manager type quarterback. I 
I don't know if he's a national championship caliber quarterback yet, but he's still pretty young. He's only had what eight, nine games as a starter. Uh, he didn't even start the first. I can't remember when he took over for Casey Bauman, but uh, he hasn't had a full total season playing yet. So he's still got he's still got some room, and I I saw him grow every year. So or every every game, excuse me. So it, it was interesting to us just to see a guy brought in. But I, I see what you're saying. Like you, is you got to go. You got to you got to get a quarterback who can take this to the next level. And I'm also really interested to see what Justin Udy does with a guy like Rovig too. And that's a whole new curveball in this whole equation. Yeah, and that'll be hard to. You know, I think that will be an unknown, which is just what we've been doing for the last five years is having unknowns, whether it's head coaches or new OCs, and you know, there's just a lot of in those first couple games we're going to see stuff we've never seen from from Justin Udy and the quarterbacks. And you, I mean, at this point, I think we damn well know that there's going to be more than one quarterback that plays and takes snaps. <laughs> I think that's just that's just what they're going to do, and. So I, I don't think that anyone's out as far as that case goes. We could see them split snaps, you know, if it's if it's Rovig and McKay. You don't know. You just don't know. It's up for grabs with Choate. I, I do want to ask you, uh, before I move on to the question about Choate's recruiting philosophy, I'm curious, do you think there's ever going to be a year where we're not talking about Montana State quarterbacks, plural? Um, As of now, I mean – you know, since Denarius McGee, it, it it hasn't happened. So, you know, Prukop definitely had it had it locked, and then he hurt his knee. And then, you know, poor Jake Bleskin had to play against the Idaho State <laughs> and the Grizz. That, 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 that. <laughs> yeah, that that was. This just, I know. I I I really respect Jake. Oh. It's a tough. It's, it's a tough draw. I've so, never felt as bad for a single player as yeah. I did for Jake Bleskin in that Cactus game. Yeah, there's uh, there was not a whole lot you could get done there. That was tough. Was, uh, yeah, so they haven't had a lack of con. Not it's not even controversy. Joe just Joe just lets it ride. You know, like his favorite quote is, "We have 16 quarterbacks on this team," or "We have you know we have 19 <laughs> former quarterbacks." It's like, yeah. and then he plays guys that have never played quarterback at quarterback. He plays guys that used to be quarterbacks starting for Oregon or you know, he just does anything he wants. So I think, yeah. no, to answer your question, I just believe in history and it, it's proven. Is the controversy just created by people like us talking about it and Jeff Cho, it's like, whatever, I know what I'm doing. No, I don't know. I, I don't know if he knows what he's doing with quarterbacks. <laughs> I, I, I think that, he, that there's some pieces of what he thinks of. If you, if you don't land a five-star, if you don't land a dude, then you better have a really good team. So he just focuses on the really good team and just hopes he gets a dude. He has, he just hasn't, you know, it's just that, I mean, sometimes that's just bad luck. Uh, it's been quite the QB roller coaster. Uh, I don't remember the exact, you know, how it went now, but you know, Prukop was supposed to come back for a senior year. Chris Murray, the whole academic thing. I, mean, I think Chris Murray as a junior and senior would have been a better option than anybody in the cats had when Murray would have been a junior and senior. So, just it's hard to say. Like he had some bad luck thrown in there, but uh, yeah, definitely tired of talking about choking quarterbacks. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I am too. I mean, the team is so good. It's you've seen teams win without him at this level. It's a little bit harder because there's, you know, there's only <clears throat> about 120 FBS schools in the country. I think it's even less than that. And you know, there's better. There's more than 120 good quarterbacks. And most guys in the FBS, if they don't start, they transfer. 
So that means that the FCS, the top 70 guys are like real deal dudes, just real deal. And if you don't have one, it's tough because they're really good and they're way better than the competition. And the quarterback is so different at this level than like the middle linebacker. It's just a different, it's a higher level, you know, teams with good quarterbacks. Well, we've all seen it. I mean, they, they're tough to compete with at this level. So you better be damn good. And that's just what show focuses on. He doesn't know quarterback as well as he knows football. So he just does football. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, Let's move. I want to ask you a quick question real quick here about the recruiting philosophy. Um, there's been some turnover in Jeff Choate's tenure, and maybe that's just the nature of college football now. But do you think Jeff Choate recruits kind of in anticipation of this roster turnover, or is there roster to- turnover because of the way Jeff Choate recruits? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think that there's a, little, a tiny bit of both, but mostly he talks about it he brings guys here that he knows might not fit when they don't fit. He's the first to say, go ahead. You should probably go. And not even because he doesn't want them, but if they're like, coach, I have a question. I, I don't question this. I think he's just kind of like, yeah, you should do something different. If you're questioning this, we don't really want you. So he does over, he, you know, he talks about it extensively. He does oversign. He does recruit positions that the style of player just might not fit within a culture where you don't play till you're a junior. That's how cornerback is. That's how quarterback is. They're very similar. You want a bunch of tape. You want to play for four years. It's kind of like the culture of those positions. So he does, in a way, anticipate some of it. And I think it's smart. It's also kind of brutal to hear. You know, it just reminds you about the business of what this whole thing is. And he doesn't treat people as commodities, but he does understand the business. And, you know, he's very honest about it. That's one of his best qualities is he's very transparent. I mean, he talks about it quite openly. So... You know, it's hard to not agree with. It's just a, a certain way of, of a certain philosophy. And that, you know, that, that's his. He definitely oversigns and tries to bring in talent and he'll weed out the stuff that he doesn't like very quickly. Do you agree with that philosophy? I'm just kind of curious your take on it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that if you really understand the, the way that the non scholarship walk on players work in the FCS, like you have guys that get invited to camp that are preferred walk ons, and you get guys that then once camp's over, you get to extend your roster from 90 to 110, I believe. So you get to add 20 guys that like they showed up for school and like they show up to a practice where guys have been there for three years and they've been at fall camp and spring ball and they've been a part of like this millet, like this very accountable program. And you show up and you just it's like tryouts. Like you just show up and you're just like on this team. They invited you. You played high school football, but you show up and you have no fucking idea what to do. You're just running around being a practice dummy. Just no idea. <laughs> Choate Cho lets those kind of guys have pride in the program. He includes them. Not every program does. You know, like when I was around Montana, those kind of guys, like, did you get to be a part of the program? Definitely. It's not the same as with Choate. He includes them in a different way. So you can kind of like, he does, he is able to carry such a big roster because he has 10 guys that want to come that he has on the line that are trying to be a part of the 120, not even part of the 90. He has guys that if he called up, if someone like leaves, quits, three guys, he has guys that he's been recruiting that are just going to Montana State. Maybe they play lacrosse or so like guys that just go to school. He knows their names and he has them ready and he's brought guys to camp or to practice where you're like, who's that guy? Oh, new guy, this, this name. And he just, so that part of it, like, do I agree with like the health of it for kids and stuff? I mean, it's a business. We all know that. The kids should know that too. Their parents should know that too. But does he do it vindictively? No. And does he bring in guys right away and keep the program healthy? Yes. So do I agree with it? It's not how I would do it, but I think he does that philosophy correctly. It's good insight right there, Brooks. 
So kind of to wrap this uh, Montana State in 2019 into 2020, and just in your opinion, what do they have to do? What's their next steps? You know, just getting confidence on offense. And they've had so much running the ball. And, you know, when they throw it just a little bit, when we, like I said, we've seen them pound teams. You know, defensively, they have an identity. Their run fit, their the culture of just how they get to the football is is already intact. Like it's not plug and play, but mm-hmm. they have a lot of guys that are kind of that are able to be a, a participant in that style. You know, if you're willing, you can play. Offensively, they want to be creative and they've always shown that, especially with some of their formations, but they just need to have there's been a hint of and maybe it's us, like you say, is it us talking about it? Is it just a hundred people who sit around and talk about it? Maybe it is, <laughs> but there's been an, an inherent lack of confidence at times. Just mm-hmm. With the play clock, with the with the with with timeouts, using timeouts towards the end of half, towards the end of games, there's been a little lack of confidence offensively. If it gets tight and Chote wants to be involved on the on the headset on the mics, you can tell that there is some pressure. There's something going on there. It's not being forced, but they definitely don't have confidence in the entire playbook at times. And that's just that's the next step. It's probably quarterback. You know, it honestly, if it had to be anything, it'd probably be everyone's confidence in the quarterback, no matter who that is. Well, I do have a couple more questions. I'm not question necessarily, but I um we're talking a little bit about the roster. Um, I, I just want to know a little bit about your thoughts about some guys you've seen in camp. One of the ones we were talked about earlier, um, Sir Dines. I hope I'm saying his name right. I think I that's think it's you, Danes. Think. Is it Danes? Yeah. I, I I feel like I get them mixed up. How it should be like Sir Dines or <laughs> Sire Danes or whatever. But, <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Um, a couple guys I have questions about. I think other Bobcat fans have too. Do you think Luke May is ever going to get some playing time, or is he just not <laughs> developing? Yeah, um, just physically not. It's hard to say. I don't want to say this because it's like it's it, like he's a crazy athlete. Like he's an awesome athlete. He's not athletic enough. That's just his size. Like he's not very big, and his quick like in a in a telephone booth like those movements and those tackles like in space when he does get close. He's fun. He's good. I mean, he's a functional player, but overall, he's just not athletic enough, not rangy enough. Doesn't get his hips around quick enough. Doesn't accelerate quite fast enough. Um, and just for being like, he has to play like almost in the box, strong safety, and he's just not quite big enough. Even though he does want to be physical, so I mean, he's a good player. He could. He'll hang. If he he should graduate. I mean, he should ride it out because he's had a, a interesting, fun career. Guys like that matter, but. Um, yeah, I don't see him playing a ton. Special teams, he can play a kickoff for sure. You know, he's a special teams guy that can that can play. He gets it. Yeah, and there was just some general excitement when he decided to transfer back, and I th- I think he was deciding between the Grizz and the Bobcats, if I remember correctly. And I think he ended up going to the Bobcats, but it just doesn't seem like he's ever going to see you crack that playing time. I guess that yeah, kinda... well, he played. He came and played quarterback. You know, I covered him for a full. That's right. Fall that's camp, right. I forgot he came so. came back to big. And then when he switched, he was just a little bit behind. You know, he's only played safety in college for a year and a half. Like it's just. Yeah, he's just he doesn't have a ton of experience. Another guy I'm kind of curious about um, the d- development of. He's gonna start seeing some playing time. There's been some talk since he signed with uh, wide receiver James Campbell, six one one seventy six wide receiver from Florida. What, what do you make of him? I love him. He's one of their most athletic players. Honestly, I mean, he's just kind of turned into like the the new. How would you say? How would I say this? He's a really good special teams player. He's kind of a special teams dynamo. You know, I thought I think when he was healthy last year, he was probably their best special teams player. That's been Chad Chad Cano at times. Um, Luke May has played pretty like like we mentioned pretty well in special teams. But there's been some guys. But 
James Washington is definitely their, I think their best special teams player receiver wise. He's got the speed. He's just never been able to really crisp up route running and they don't throw. He's the kind of receiver that doesn't really fit into their offense. He's not like their only deep threats they've really had are Lance McCutcheon, a little bit of Travis Johnson in the last two years, <laughs> which is crazy. But like they want guys that are physical that can catch the ball around the line of scrimmage, and that's just not him. And he's not really a slot. He's just a Z. And it's just they don't really utilize that position very much. So it's he's just kind of in a weird spot. He'll play a ton. He broke I think he broke his hand last year. No, maybe his I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. It might be his foot. But he definitely broke a bone and was out for the last seven games so or eight games. I was hoping maybe he'd be kind of like that, uh, fill that role of that wide receiver from uh, NDSU, whose name is escaping me right now. I can't remember his name, but I guess maybe that's a Tyrone Marshall. It would be maybe where that kind of that role. Right. And Willie Patterson kind of is that role too. Like they just like guys that are, are yeah, just quicker in space, less vertical speed. Like he's just kind of a, just a downfield guy. They just don't use it. You know, they just don't. What do you think about, um, what's the deal with Keaton Anderson? He was a Montana kid, if I remember right, out of Billings. Is he on the roster or not? He left the team. So, yeah, okay. he's done. Um, kind of was expected. You know, he got hurt and just never could really find the groove. It happens, you know. It definitely it's not an easy thing. He's definitely a, not an outlier. That is, It's pretty darn common. You know, we don't see a ton at Montana schools. We do, but it's really common. You know, just kind of his experience. A year and a half, got hurt, is what it is. Another guy we uh, we were curious about is Jahari Martin, uh, freshman out of mm-hmm. Florida. Mm-hmm. What do you see him as, a running back or a linebacker? He's got to play linebacker. I mean, he's just going to keep getting bigger and stronger. I mean, during their, their winter conditioning, he was, you know, I heard some stuff about him being just, you know, one of the top five lifters in the program, putting up some crazy numbers, especially bench. You know, he's a huge bench presser. Uh, he's the kind of guy that I think you just bulk up. He can get to the ball. You know, I think last year when you're not going to play linebacker, like he just wasn't going to play. He wasn't ready, like uh, not fundamental wise. I mean, some fundamentals, physicality wise, he's ready. Fundamental wise, a little bit off, a little bit behind, mm-hmm. just needs to, needs to grow a little bit. And also just, you know, it's a different scheme. It's a brand new, it's a, it's a complex game, especially the college game. He just wasn't going to play. And it was not the deepest group. He just wasn't going to play. So I think they chose the kind of guy you just move him to running back to keep him interested. Like, well, you're not going to play. Like, here's the ball. Go truck some people, I guess, you know, I mean, (laughs) I think you just try to keep a guy like him from leaving. You're just like, well, we're willing to do anything we can to get you on the field. So like, just try to, you know, keep him involved, I guess. That's what I thought. I think that he'll play linebacker in his future. I mean, definitely played a fair amount of running back in high school. So it's not like it's a new thing for him, but I could totally see your point about just keeping him engaged and involved maybe for this year, maybe even half of this year, but definitely next year, moving him to that linebacker room and getting him going over there. Yeah, he's a physical player. I mean, he's a beast. He's short. He's definitely short. You know, I get to stand next to every single dude, not only in practice, but like on during game days and stuff. And there I have cleats on, they have helmets on, and I know how exactly how tall I am. And there's dudes who are really big. And then there's some guys that are really, really tiny. And I think that people get that, but there's some small dudes. Like you mentioned Willie Patterson, like small, like really small. Jahari Martin, mm. really big, you know, but short, <laughs> like, like really like five, nine. Yeah. So you're saying listed at six foot, a little generous. Like when <laughs> they say five, 10, it's like, dude, this guy, he's like <laughs> five, five, eight and a half, like two forty. Yeah. This dude's big. big. Yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I took it off the roster. I think, it, I think it says six foot. 
Goodness, goodness. We'll give him 5'11". He's 5'11". <laughs> Only one last player I want to ask you about specifically. Not uh, his status or what's up with him. Just how much do you enjoy watching RJ Fitzgerald just destroy people? Oh, God. Yeah, he's physical. It was super physical. He puts his head... He, he goes. He gets his hat on a hat. You know, coaches like to say that. Like he, yeah. he makes sure and touch you in every way. He's just so compound, just so miserable to go against. I can't. I don't. I just. You haven't seen a lot of guys like that. So compact, so tough. Like yeah, he is. They should play him. You know, they. He should be if they're gonna just run the freaking triple option. Like have this guy block. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. They they kind of are disguising it a little bit. We do kind of run the triple option, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> at least what fifteen or twenty plays a game when there's not a quarterback <laughs> on the field. I tried to call it the ground raid, but I don't think that really caught on. <laughs> I love it, man. I know you just know what's coming. It's great. <laughs> RJ Fitzgerald kind of reminds me um, his high school tape, in particular. Who is that? I want to say he was from Arizona, the white running back. The Grizz had like six or seven years ago. Well, there's there's two that were really really big like that. Uh, bowling Dan, ball guy. Dan Moore, Dan, Dan Moore. Moore. That was it. And, was Dan Moore, and then Joey Counts right after that. Yeah, Dan Moore <laughs> was. Um, if anyone really knows Dan Moore, or like you've seen him, um, he was the guy in college at times ten that I tackled the most. The person that I had to go against. Oh, the how'd most. that feel? He was, you know, I only lasted three years. Remember, two and a half. So <laughs> you could. <laughs> Uh, it, I would attribute a lot of it to him. I had two surgeries because of him. I remember oh, specifically, I remember watching him play and his stiff arms are borderline punches. Yeah, dude. He's so physical. So big. So, so big. The best lifter I've ever known. You know, he went into powerlifting after he played for the Colts for a while. Um, and he still is, he's still a professional bodybuilder. Holy cow. I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> All right, Brooks. Uh, we're getting close to. Close to it. Uh, we got one more question, and then we're going to head into the buy or sell. Um, quick question for you. Uh, who do you think is primed for a breakout year, both offense and defense? We're, we're going to put you on the spot and make you pick two players. Yeah, I would say defensively. Um, I'm really interesting in, in, interested in the Jeffrey Manning kid, the safety from Oregon State. Mm. Um, I, I really liked his film. I, I think that he his body and kind of the way he plays, at least I've only seen two kind of cut-up games. Um, a little, not huge, not a huge guy, kind of that Jacque Allen build where when you read the stats, they are big guys, you know, kind of like that 6'1", 195, which is bigger than you might think, but... Um, I just like the physicality. I liked kind of the way he played. I think it really fits into what they do. So I'm super interested in him. Um, and offensively, it, it would probably be a receiver. Uh, you know, we kind of know what the running backs are going to be as far as breakouts go or, you know, someone who's going to take a big step forward. I've, I've always thought Lance McCutcheon is talented. And I, I think that, you know, if you give him <laughs> true down the field touches, like you never know. I mean, there was times where he was just, he had like seven, seven catches and four touchdowns, you know, four touchdowns. Like he's a guy that I think you can kind of open the field up with and you can kind of, if you get him going in some fashion. Um, but there's some other receivers that can play too. Um, you know, I, they're going to give Willie Pitt Patterson chances. You know, we all think, and I agree, you know, there's definitely hasn't shown a whole ton. They're going to give him chances. I mean, he, I think that he'll probably be, Someone's going to take over that Kevin Cassis role, and he's definitely in that mix. Um, but there's also 
you know, my, my, probably my favorite player on offense, who I think will take the biggest jump is Zach Red. Um, I think he's just a really, really good player. And I think that now that he has all this experience, he's still young. He's just so powerful and technical and he's just a really good player at center. Um, he can play guard. He can play both sides. I've talked to him so much. He's just such a smart kid. Like I really, I think he's really, really, really talented. And I think he'll take a big jump too. So he's more of a guy that's a little bit more established if you know about that offensive line. But I think that he's going to go from, you know, we'd love to talk Madden ratings. I think he's going to go from a, like an 85 to a 93. And that's a big jump. That reminds me, you mentioned Jeffrey Manning, the transfer from Oregon State. We didn't even get around to talking about the other transfers real quick. Here. I know we're going to get out of here soon, but I, I kind of want to see what your take is on some of the transfers. We got John Clark, tra- uh, grad transfer from UW, 6'4", 290, um, defensive tackle, I assume. Uh, Cole Sane, Riverside Community College by way of Montana got three years left to play 6'4 280 offensive lineman i'm not sure which uh position he is on the line do you know that one brooks what position he's i I think he's i think he's inside i would say okay uh ben seymour college of canyons who is a 6'2 245 uh, defensive end i think a pass rushing is what they've been bringing him in for and this is gonna be hard for me to say is it chacho yula (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> he's got one year left, which I'm also I'm interested to see how that that works. But he's six six foot, two hundred pound safety, I believe. Right? Jeez, oh, I can't. I didn't write yeah, down his position. Yep, safe, safety, yep. From Arizona, and then of course Jeffrey Manning from Oregon State. Uh, I'm curious. Did you see Cole saying very much uh, in Montana at, in Missoula? I do, and I guess I would like to to retract that. I would say he's a right tackle. Um, I did. I, I do know who he is, and I, I have seen him. You know, not a ton. I don't have a great evaluation on him. I think it's a good get. You know, clearly someone that produced at junior college. But they, you know, Jeff Choate said this week they wanted to get old and stay old on the offensive line, and I think mm-hmm. this is kind of that move. Like insert someone in and bolt, bolster a class without having to necessarily do all the development. So it's a little bit of a depth move, which is always smart. That's what like we we mentioned. His philosophy is to you know, get big groups at O-line, defensive back, and clearly quarterback. So you, you would say, I guess, Jeffrey Manning is the guy you're most excited about in that class there then? Yeah, I mean, the Arizona kid, because we're going to all struggle with his name until I have it written down and read it a million times. I mean, he he has a little bit of production. He comes from a great background. Centennial High School is, you know, super competitive. Um, Vontez Perfect went there. Ronnie Hillman went there. Um, Corona, California, it's really, it's, you know, really competitive high school football. And to go and produce at Arizona, I mean, you know, they've had some okay teams, but his film was interesting. Again, a different level of aggression just that you kind of garner from practicing at that level. Um, so I think it's a good get, you know, it's the biggest position that they lose is safety. They lost three seniors, you know, Jockway Allen, Braden Conkle, and JoJo Henderson. All, they played for the last five games. They played those three guys 75% of the time at the same time. You know, they brought Conkle up to that, like, nickel linebacker, and they played Jockway and JoJo a lot in those last five games a ton. You know, they always were playing, especially on after first down. And um, so all three of those guys being gone, those two safeties, you have to assume, like, they're going to rely on. So I'm very interested in those guys. And, you know, the, the linemen are, are all kind of uh, depth guys, but the Clark kid, you know, John Clark. The pipeline continues. We always, you know, we talk about it internally. 
well, is Jeff Choate just going to get a UW defensive te- defensive lineman every single year? Like, probably not. It's like, well, I mean, we'll see. He's batting 100% right now, you know. And this kid, the pictures, he's he's a dude. He's big, you know. He's FBS looking. And that's that really helps if that if you can mix it up with and let Benson go in a different position, you know, maybe move Benson more towards that Mark's position that like inside instead of just right on top and um, a little bit more one-on-one with the guard instead of getting double teamed like Benson did in that nose tackle does in that, in that defense. Um, you put Clark, you put Benson over where Marks was and let him use his athleticism, let this Clark kid take those double teams. I mean, it, it could definitely open up a new element for Benson, which is a huge key to that defense. So they're all interesting, you know, but I would definitely say that Manning was the guy that I kind of thought had the most interesting film. He looked more plug and play than got kind of see with these other guys. Well, it's pretty interesting because we are talking about a little bit about the defensive line and the holes left with the players vacating their the graduating. Um, safety is going to be just the biggest one for me because like Jojo is such an underrated player. Like he was such a good player and such an important part of that back end on the defense. And it's going to be really hard to replace all three of those guys, just three senior stud players like that. It's going to be a challenge for the Bobcats. Yeah, it is. And that defense, you know, it's that it was a a relationship that truly fed off of each other between that front seven last year and the back end. You can't have that front seven unless you have that back end, but you, it's vice versa. It's the same thing. Yeah. doesn't matter how good you are up front. If you can get the ball chucked down the field on you, like things become very different and challenging. So like you to have anything that that front seven has, you have to have security up top and, you know, I think throughout Canion's defenses, it's not just because he played so, you know, primarily safety and defensive back in his career. But, you know, people reflect what they know in football, and it's such a big part of his defenses, even if they're focused on the pressure in the buck end and the odd man front and the bogus pressure. And even if that's the focus, that back end is still where his mind is going to kind of see it. And so you have to think that those guys are going to be really integral and they always have been in the big sky. Safety is one of the most important positions. It's not close and that's not the case in in leagues around the country, but it is in the big sky. And some of the greatest players in big sky conference history are safeties. And it's for a reason because just the style of offense and the, and the the style of coaching is definitely a certain way. And it's vast. It's majorly important. And like I said, the Manning kid, I think they're both interesting players, especially FBS guys. The thing that helps with the Arizona kid is he only has one year, where I think Manning has two. That's the way I understand it. So the Arizona kid could be quite focused, which is very helpful. You know, that's very like, you know, then you can become plug and play because you're not developmental. But both those guys, I think, know what they're coming into. Well, I think to to kind of build on your point a little bit is going into Montana State right now, like Jeff Choate has established his culture. It's not like year one, year two, where they were just taking everybody and kind of just seeing what sticks on the wall. It's like, well, if you're not going to fit into the culture, it's, man, well, we'll see you later. They're like, thanks for coming, but uh, here's the door. So I think these guys that Jeff Choate's bringing in probably know that, and it's it's going to play out just like that. So uh, hopefully... He's he's done a pretty good jo- job with these senior level um, upperclassmen recruits, drop downs. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they can produce on the field. Yeah, minus the uh, the two of UW uh, guys that came out guard Garshire <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah, well Hale. that was like year one. Though, I'm right? just saying like, that, so that, that was, was kind of like, we were talking about like uh, kind of just having to take some guys to fill some roles and some you just need some guys and took some chances and 
you know, out beyond that, he's been pretty much batting a thousand. Yeah, but so Chody even admittedly said, you know, I made a mistake on those guys, and I learned from that, though. Yeah, he got lucky there. That's a tough spot to be in. Famous yeah. kid, drug scandal, never really nothing happened. You know, I don't think anything should have. I'm not saying that at all, but that's definitely, a, you know, count your blessings. It was almost <laughs> more newsworthy when he signed than yeah, when, when he right. uh, got in a little bit of trouble there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm all for, like, keeping kids' lives intact and, you know, like, hey, it's time for you to go. You know, I mean, like, I believe that's the way it should be done, certainly. But that was, you know, yeah. You always miss. Transfers are risky. You know, they they definitely have ulterior motives than a kid signing with you out of high school. It's it's a whole different world. That's why I give guys like uh, Jockway Allen and, and even Bo Sandland so much credit. They came in and they basically had to sit out a year or they maybe they paid their way for the first year or, you know, they just went to school. Whatever it was, if they were on scholarship or not, they, they weren't really with the team. So by the time they got to play for their senior year, they just maximized it. And uh, you know, those are the kind of guys you, you kind of want. Yeah. And it does happen. You know, I would say it's transfers are kind of 50% and yeah. it's not that they'll fail. It's just that the 50% hit, you know, it's just kind of, I think that's a good, a pretty good percentage. You know, I think they actually do work out quite a bit, but when they don't work out, it's, it's, it's kind of ugly just because usually it's a quick exit or it's a, a verbal exit, you know, it doesn't work out that great, but yeah, you got to go for them at this level. You, you you have so much attrition with small rosters. You got to get. You have to get transfers and a mix of FBS dropdowns and junior college guys. I think in this day and age is exactly what you'd want. Right on, Brooks. Well, uh, we're ready to move on to the buy or sell segment of of our show, which is: Are you familiar with the buy or sell? Yeah, I definitely understand it. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm in. I, I had to I had to explain it to Bethany Cordell the other day, and uh, <laughs> I didn't know if I had to do the same for you. All right. Before um, we move on, I just want to say, man, this has been fun talking with them. I could talk for hours and hours more here, but uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta start wrapping this up, unfortunately. But yeah, I appreciate you coming on. It's just been a lot of fun talking. Oh yeah, thank you guys too. It's been great, man. Love talking shop. It's like you guys mentioned. It's been too long. You know, we've been away from sports, and we're all. We're all hurting for it. You know, this is such a, this is my life. So not just Bobcat (laughs) sports, but all sports. So it's been great talking (laughs) with you guys. Well, thanks buddy. All right. All right. I got four questions for you on buy or sell and uh, you just got to give a buy or sell and what you think about this. So first Mm -hmm. one is kind of playing off um, the last dance and we know uh, that you are a big uh, MJ fan. And so um, my question to you, buy or sell, Brooks, the next docu-series should be on Tiger Woods. Buy. Absolutely. I love that. There's some people that have been talking about Kobe Bryant. And, well, that doesn't work because he can't talk. Because, unfortunately, one of our favorite players is not here. So when you think down the line, it is Tiger Woods. You know, there's a Lance Armstrong 30 for 30 coming out in early July, June. Now there's three 30 for 30s coming out, but once is called, one is called Lance. And the intro mm-hmm. says, it's him saying, I'm going to tell you the story from my perspective and what I remember. And I think it's the very similar concept of he gets to write his own documentary. It's t- the last dance has been interesting because there's not much to critique, but there is a critique of knowing that Michael Jordan said yes or no to every every bit of footage did he have last say who knows but this was such he had his hand so much in this that you'd think that he's kind of you know try to control some of the narrative this it would be the same with lance armstrong but i buy that tiger woods would be absolutely phenomenal what a story one of my favorite athletes of all time 
um, you know, tough off the uh, tough off the course stuff. But I'm in. But I buy all day. Just you're, you're not buying curious. my vote of Danny Ainge. <laughs> <laughs> the untold yeah. story of Danny Ainge. <laughs> no. Thorny, just be quiet for a moment. <laughs> Brooks, just curious, man. Uh, what's been your favorite moment in uh, this the last dance? Yeah, that the the last two minutes of episode eight was probably the most powerful documentary stuff I've, you know, recency bias, but I've ever seen. You know, Jordan talking about why he's competitive and what people thought of him, and you know how he wanted to remind us that he doesn't care what you think of him, and there's a reason. And winning take winning is a sacrifice, and he's I, I like how he followed it up with that leadership is also a sacrifice, and you know that was definitely my favorite part. There's times early on where I know so much about this, you know, this team and this stuff and Michael Jordan. I, I, I know a lot about him. I, I have watched just every documentary, every piece of footage. I have it all sitting 10 feet from me on DVDs. I, I've seen it. So there's times early <laughs> on where I'm like, oh, Dennis Rodman, let's watch some Michael Jordan. Scotty Pippen, let's watch some Michael Jordan. <laughs> so now that they've gotten into Jordan stuff, I've been, I've been into this definitely. Six, seven, eight have been great. Right on, man. I actually had that uh, quote typed out in the document that we're looking at right now. And it was going to ask you a question. Uh, You just talked about it right there. That's great. All right. Uh, Buy or sell. Jeff Choate's biggest coaching flaw is his ability to manage the quarterback position. Man, I would say sell that. Um, Just because I think his biggest flaw is putting pressure on offensive coordinators, especially in the first half of games, um, being too conservative culturally on offense to make games close. They want to fight you and drag you into deep water and then drown you. And most coaches would say, if you're talented, you got to separate, you know, it's like driving on a highway. The safest place is to separate, you know, don't drive next to someone, get away from them. And he doesn't do that very well. And I think that, it's easy to blame him because I think that offensive coordinators it may not be him, but it's him on Thursdays. It's him on Tuesdays. And I think that his sentiment is correct in being conservative with the defense that they have. And look at him. I mean, I won't fault him for a thing they did last year because it was so successful and they won a lot of games and they beat people down. But I think that that would probably be the biggest flaw. It's not necessarily the quarterback because by the system, they don't need the quarterback. And I don't know if I agree with that. But in their system, they truly might not. They should sometimes, but not always. So in a sense, he has to let it go sometimes and you know let that thing open up a little bit. And I think they would be in, in safer positions to like start blitzing more, to get home more, to play defense a different way. Philosophically, it's not what they do, but I would say that that is more of their his weakness is their weakness is being too conservative in the first half on offense. Well, we can't just let that go without talking a little bit about that. That's of kind course, of a, yeah. a big topic there. Uh, quick, quick, I know I'm fully probably got something to say here, but I'm just kind of curious. Do you think uh, Jeff Choate drove at, drove out Matt Miller, or did he just take a good opportunity for Matt Miller? Uh, both. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it would be hard to be the OC for Choate. I mean, I'll leave it <laughs> at that. I think, I think it's been proven, you know. Um, well, Courtney Messinghan's pretty much exhibit A. Right, right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I saw it at times. These guys who like to play defensive guys like to be physical. There's, there's an element of of mistakes in the passing game that they don't like. They want to mitigate mistakes, and in the passing game, if you throw it, you'll throw picks. Like Rovig threw, what six picks last year? 
maybe seven. Unless you're Trey Lance. Right. Trey Lance should have thrown a pick in that Illinois State game. A guy had it and literally <laughs> fumbled it three times. It was ridiculous. But guys throw <laughs> picks. And like as Cho, if 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 they throw seven picks, he's stoked. If he would have a hard time throwing 18 picks versus getting another 25 touchdowns. But he would have a hard time with it. And it's just kind of part of not that someone throws 18 picks, but it's just a part of the game. It's much more volatile. And he doesn't like that. So I mean, I think that that's probably just what plays into it the most. I think when you broke down I think I did the research on this and I can't remember exactly, but like Rovig's uh, interception to passing ratio was like top four or five in the league. And the same with his like efficiency of ended up getting pretty high up there. So, I mean, clearly something choke values, but obviously his, you know, big playability or his touchdowns are pretty much bomb in the league. So, you know, he had some positives in that and some things I'm sure Jeff Choke did like that he did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, he saw that he sees the field fairly well and, you know, when things are flowing and he can get in, in a little bit of hurry up and, um, you know, they're running the ball well, he was an efficient quarterback. You know, he really was. And if he had the game in hand, there was nothing that they really couldn't do. I thought that they were, a, you know, a very, a very good offense. But, you know, the expectations at the Montana schools, we talk about it at Skyline Sports every single day, is that we sometimes we're like, are we being too hard on these people? On these, you know, we always remember their kids. Are we being too hard on these young athletes? The expectations here are national championships at Montana and Montana State. So that's that's the lens you have to look at. It. Is Rovig an efficient quarterback? Yes. Is there stuff that he does that Choate likes? Yes, absolutely. Can he win a national championship? I think Jeff Choate answered that. You know, I think that he we know what he thinks about that. I think that's going to be the evolution of Jeff Choate is his ability to um work with the offensive side of the ball. And I'm really kind of interested going forward in this season, how him and Justin UD kind of marriage. So it does feel from, from our perspective, at least my perspective that that has gotten better over his uh, tenure, but not yeah. still a long ways to go, but certainly better than it was when Courtney Messingsham was here or even Bob Cole. Uh, things have gotten a little better. Is that right? Yeah, is he getting no, a little better? They have. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, he's got experience. He hasn't done it, you know. He's not that old of a guy. And he had only coached defensive football. I mean, he coached a lot of offense in high school. And, and he knows football. He knows offense. You know, he would talk circles around all of us. And that's just the facts of it. You know, it's what it's how you see it live during the game from the sideline. How you, like, guys who know it, they, they're savants. They can see it in a million angles just from standing there, like, the film you watched, you've been in the booth before. Like he has attributes that he just hasn't done it that much. And at this level, I think that, you know, early on when he said he wanted to be about toughness, well, after about two or three years, like it's hard to change from that. And toughness doesn't always involve quarterbacks. You know, when we talk about toughness in college football, it's, it's option teams, you know, it's, it's a different style of team and it doesn't rely on the quarterback and it does exist in college football. And they, they are, they're doing it, you know, that's what they've been doing. So we were in the middle of a buy or sell, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to it. Only two more questions for you, Brooks. <laughs> great, stuff here. Just, great stuff. Great stuff. This is a fun conversation. But we're <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. All right. Fire away. Uh, buy or sell, Brooks. Uh, Daniel Hardy, all-conference linebacker. Mm, sell. Just lack of volume, probably. Just too many good players around him. Won't get the tackle numbers. Um, sell. You think he's all conference caliber? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the thing is that he's either going to 
you know, to be an all-conference player at what they're going to have him do a lot, he'd probably have to have 10 sacks. And that's just a lot. You know, they haven't had a guy like that for a while. Yeah. Good if point. he gets six, like he could be definitely, you know, a second team all league guy. I, does he make it on that list? Yes. When I think of all league, I think of the first team. And if you want to okay. say when they name honorable mentions all the way down with offensive linemen, I mean, you got to think offensive lineman wise, they named 22 guys. Like if you're in the top 22 in a 12, 13 team league, like, okay, yeah, that's good. But if you're in the top three, like you're you know, a transcending player, there's just so many guys that make it, you know, on all those big lists. Is he a top two or a top four linebacker at his position? He has the caliber. I don't know if he is. He hasn't played in a lot of football, to be honest. Well, we Good all point. know that uh, MSU and UM tally tackles a little bit differently on the stat sheets. <laughs> yeah, they, every school does it a little different. Rumor has it Dante Olsen is still gaining tackles as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> he had a ton of them you know he, uh, his sample size it depends when you saw that guy it's pretty funny what people think. quick quick note on Dante Olsen so I got to stand next to him in Spokane at the um, the Big Sky press release he was the most intimidating person I've ever stood next to he's yeah, a big guy yeah <laughs> just really impressive alright Brooks last one buddy um, by yourself Getting paid for your name, image, or likeness as a college athlete. Oh, it's so hard. I want to like, I want to buy futures, but I don't want to buy now. But I think it's a slippery slope to not buy. If that makes sense. So I would probably buy. Um, I don't like that. Like I say, I'd like to let it play out longer. I don't want it to be today. It's too muddy. The landscape right now is really muddy. I think. There's several things that they could do. It's kind of across sports. The fact that they're all different football guys, you risk so much by having to be in college. You have to be in college for three years. And like the, the chance of getting hurt is just so high. Whereas like college basketball guys, they might play 10 games and sit out and then go to the, the, the NBA. So like those differences, as far as so what I'm, what I'm getting at is that there's sports where you have to play longer and you have a much higher risk. I think that there's value in making money off your likeness if you're able to. You know, I just don't think it lasts that long. The, the transition to being a pro is just pretty low. There's so many kids that play football. Teams are huge. We're not just talking football. But other sports, I think it would make sense. I mean, I don't love it. I, I wish it wasn't a thing. But if I have to buy, I'm pro player almost always. If, I'm across the board. I see how much these institutions, these coaches, um, they benefit financially from from kids who risk a lot. So, at the end of that, I'd be pro player, even though I don't. It's kind of I don't like that. Do you think that uh, real quick sub question here? Foley's going to hate me for this. Do you think that there <laughs> that's a benefit, uh, an advantage for the Montana schools who actually some yeah. businesses might actually want to give them a little decent chunk of change to advertise. Uh, Fremo's Pizza is Fremo still around in Missoula? I don't know, but <laughs> a random, I don't think it is. A random God, business that buffet uh, hurts. Oh. It's, oh, it's terrible, but oh, I, I ate the crap out of it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> do you think that benefits a school like uh, Montana, Montana State, who have some local businesses who might actually invest in that versus like uh, Southern Utah? Absolutely, and it already does. You know, you can you can take this same model of of. Uh, of fully benefited scholarships, you know, the, the cost of attendance that we see across the country that right now, North Dakota state and South Dakota state, Jeff Hope joke preaches it all the time is a disadvantage. They offer full cost of attendance. That's $3,300 a year in your pocket cash money. It's very similar is that if you have more financial opportunity, when you're getting recruited, the coach will tell you that. And that's seedy. That's tough. You know, that starts to become, 
such different motives for going to different areas, you know, and the money that comes in, it's hard, especially in basketball. If like you have the number one pick and he's making a million bucks or whatever, you know, like how does anyone respect him? The kids don't have nothing, you know, this guy's making tons of money. It's like, it'd be really, I don't like anything about it. (laughs) I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's just so hard for me to say. What do you they, guys say? They they deserve. I mean, if if institutions are making so much money off of them, they deserve to be able to make some money doing stuff like that. Yeah, it's just so hard. Like you sell jerseys with the number on it. It's obviously the player. They don't make a penny off that. So uh, it's, it's it's so tough, and I don't have a good opinion on it really. But I kind of agree with you. I almost always end up siding with the player in these kinds of situations because. Ultimately, the whole thing is built on them. I think uh, I think players should get if, if you're Troy Anderson and you're doing a card uh, dealership ad, good for you. you get paid, but it's it's going to muddy the waters. It's it's going to change things. I'm never a huge fan of change, but that's just me. So um, I I listened to Jeff Choate talk about it today. He's he's concerned about it. I would I would tend to agree with him. I don't know. It's you know, if you're like, I, I I guess I think back to like people like Tim Tebow and like transcendent college players, <laughs> like how much they would benefit from this. But I don't know when you, do you, you have to look, look at it holistically as a university as well. Like what about like, yeah, like women's golf and stuff like this? I don't know. It's just, it seems odd. So yeah, fair enough. All right. All right, well, that I think is going to finally wrap up our buyer sell segment, perhaps the longest buyer sell segment we've had, especially with only four questions. So, yep, yeah, it's still fun. Um, Brooks, why don't you tell us a little bit about where people can find you, your work, Skyline Sports, whatever you know, where they can find what you do for the Big Sky Athletics? Yeah, so SkylineSportsMT.com uh, is a website that we've modified several times. It's continued to grow. Um, there's premium content, there's free content, there's so many videos and podcasts. You know, we try to podcast more than once a week. And um, we do a lot of uh, interviews that we do both at ESPN Radio 1029 in FM in Missoula, as well as interviews that we do personally. We cut so many of those up after we use them in stories. We'll even, we even launch them before we even use them because the quotes are just, they're so memorable afterwards, even in, embedded in, in written content. So, um, the site is full of photos. It's full of all sorts of different stuff. Uh, we'd love for people to subscribe and support. And um, we also, you know, as I mentioned, offer a ton of free content. So um, there you can find me on Twitter at, at Brooks Nuanez, N-U-A-N-E-Z, and Brooks with an S, Brooks Nuanez. And um, hit me up if you ever need anything. I've always talked about in this next fall, we really looked at doing, a, you know, publishing a bunch of of of, photo, of photography from the site um, in canvas settings, in in uh, in metal artwork, in glass. You know, I have done it for my family and my friends my whole career, but I haven't sold a ton of photos to the public just because we we like premium members to, you know, after they jump through a paywall, see a bunch of really cool, unique stuff um, that not everyone's going to see. So we we find it a value add. Um, so we try to protect that for our users a ton, but I plan on selling some this fall. Um, and you know, I'll let you guys know and I'll update you with something in the future as far as websites and stuff go. But if anyone's ever interested in in content like that, um, you can contact me through the website and I'm, I'm more than willing to, you know, give quotes and print historical photos. And it's been really fun to work on. So that'll be something coming in the future. Well, that's awesome to hear. And I, I want to just throw out here too, like I've been a 
subscriber to Skyline since pretty much day one. So I, I really love the content and I love what you guys do. You and your brother, Coulter. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that, guys. It's, you know, it's always great to hear when someone gets to read and listen. And, uh, you know, we care about it a whole ton and put a whole lot of work into it. So thanks for the support. All right. Well, I don't know if you'll be game for this, but we end our podcast with the Go Cats. Uh, Foley. I'll start with he's Foley. A, he's a, he's a yeah, player. Well, he we'll see. We'll cat. see. If he doesn't want to do it, he can say Go Grizz or he can just, just be silent. <laughs> I plead the fifth. All right. That works. <laughs> Go Cats. Go Cats.